Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. All right, and welcome back to Health Matters Radio. This is Dr. Ned Hoke today, joined by Abigail Lev, is that how it's pronounced, Abigail? Is it? Ab- uh, you could call me Abby. You know? And it's, it's Abigail. And it's pronounced Lev or Lev or. It's pronounced Lev, so it's Lev. pronounced Abigail and Lev. But uh, I go by Abby. You could just call me Doctor yeah. Abby. I can do that. <laughs> I can. Tr- I can try to do that. Uh, well, Abby, uh, we're so happy to have you and to talk about this very interesting topic: the the work that you have going on with. Uh, asking the question in this very pregnant moment, the question you ask is, why sh- police should take a mental health exam to see have any, see if they have any empathy? Now, uh, let's, so let's just start right there with that basic question: w- Why should why police should take a class or that is a, a mental health test to see if they have empathy? Let's just dis- d- define that a little bit. Let's talk about what empathy means, but also let's talk about the test part of it as well. So that's a big open place to start with here. Right. Well, um, it seems that we do have some sort of mental evaluation that police officers have to take, but this criteria is not consistent and is not consistent nationally. And therefore, from state to state, people do radically different things. And some of these exams, some of these mental exams that uh, these police officers are getting are lasting about 15 minutes. Right. And we we certainly can't tell too much about a person's level of empathy, compassion, a certain traits like authoritarianism, right? Like certain traits that we would not want a people in position of authority or power to have. Uh, 15 minutes is not enough time to really be fully assessing their personality and their character and whether they are a good fit for this type of position. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like it's 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 just an insult to one's intelligence to to imagine a fifteen yeah. a fifteen minute test would could even conceivably have anything uh, substantive substantive enough to give somebody a badge of the gun. So absolutely. So absolutely. so some of the literature your publicist sent me talked about the Minneapolis experience, and of course they talked about how desolatory the the, the I guess it's Hennepin County in Minneapolis. Uh, how they just they hired all kinds of people over and over again. They they hired psychiatrists, not psychologists, in the most recent uh, time, and so they just didn't they just weren't didn't seem like they were really paying attention. So Minneapolis, is, for our listeners, probably re- all remember, is where uh, George Floyd uh, was killed by the police officer, and this is what got started this tremendous outpouring of uh, rage and 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 dissatisfaction with the public sphere. So. So, uh, Dr. Abby, were you part of the Stanford Prison Experience? Was that ex- experiment? Was that part of your? <laughs> no, that was a very long time ago. Oh, I see. Before I was 
born, but um, okay. Okay. <laughs> but but what we learned from the Stanford Prison Experiment, and it has its own flaws, uh, we won't take it literally, but what we learned from it is that the culture that you are in and the environment really impacts you as well. So that if you're in an environment where you're getting a lot of power and there's not a lot of accountability for your power, uh, you can kind of lose control a bit. Uh, the Stanford Prison Experiment, where... Uh, they did a study and, and made some Stanford students be either uh, prisoners or prison guards, and it was supposed to last uh, over a week, and they had to shut it down early because the, the prison guards, quote-unquote, the students who were pretending to be prison guards, uh, got so sadistic and violent that they actually had to uh, end the study early. And, and so there's several pieces of this. There's the piece of our, our police uh, hiring people that are of good character. Do they have good criteria for measuring certain traits? And also, what kind of environment are they in, right? If, if the culture is, is, is cruel or lacks empathy or is sadistic, and if there's a lot of power that is given without a lot of accountability, things get pretty out of control. And has has well been well been proven many many times. So, for right. for our listeners who are not completely clear about the difference between sympathy and empathy, can you help us with that? Yeah, uh, sympathy. If I sympathize with someone, uh, sympathy doesn't feel as good as empathy. I could kind of sympathize with you, but then I kind of I'm looking down at you a little bit while I give you my sympathy. Mm. You know, I go it must. You know, I imagine if I was feeling this way, that would really suck. Whereas empathy is actually taking a moment. It's it's uh, seeing the pain that you're in and having a desire for it to cease mm. and, and being willing to have that experience. Mm. So empathy is a very complicated process because we, you know, there's some assumptions in there, uh, some perspective taking, putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes and imagining what that must be like, both cognitively and affectively, right? So, for example, some people could have very high levels of cognitive empathy and low levels of um, emotional empathy, right? Like Mm -hmm. warm versus cold empathy. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, for example, people who have narcissistic personality disorder are very high on cognitive empathy. They're able to tell what other people are thinking and feeling, but they don't feel it, right? Mm-hmm. Warm empathy is actually uh, experiencing it, feeling that pain and having a desire for that person to be relieved of that pain. Um, so when we talk about warm empathy, we're talking about a complex process where you are kind of imagining what another person is, is might be feeling or thinking, putting yourself in their shoes and their perspective, and also connecting emotionally with what what they're feeling and going through and what their experience is. Mm-hmm. So, well, when we apply this in the in the police environment, it one one could almost hear some of our listeners say, "Empathy is kind of for parents and children, or empathy is for people who already have a um, uh, uh, an emotional reason to to be responsive to each other, and and a, p- a police officer's role." Is hardly that, and and you're suggesting, at least I'm I'm here I'm hearing you suggest that that conceivably it's important to get some measure of whether an officer would be or officer candidate has any of this going on. So, 
so say a little bit about that in terms of the 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 how you see you know kind of what level of empathy that in an ideal world or at least a, a workable world what what sort of empathy are you wishing and hoping the your, your police candidate might show what and what what, what you, and you're talking about testing so that sort of walks us off a little bit into what the tests are about but anyway let's start with what are you expecting the this police officer because I think so I can hear some of our listeners say well like I say I'm just repeating myself but I can hear say empathy that's for yeah that's, you know so so let's help help us connect to the to the yeah. to the official land of the police world well, I will say I'll answer all your questions. The first question right. is: uh, There's a scientist, uh, a behavioral researcher named Franz De Waal, okay. who does really interesting, amazing research. Uh, and he looks at apes and bonobos, and he does a lot of behavioral work with them around empathy and altruism okay. and moral behavior. And it's it's very beautiful work. I would encourage everyone. Actually, uh, he has a YouTube video uh, called. Uh, the scientific surprise of alpha males. Mm -hmm. And what's very interesting is that he talks about the concept of alpha males when it comes to apes and chimpanzees uh, and how in, in, in the human, uh, the way that humans think about alpha males is radically different than how it plays out in the animal world. So in the human world, we think that an alpha male is somebody who's like strong and tough or who could be a little bit of a bully Whereas in the animal world, the alpha male actually has the most amount of empathy mm. of all of the males. And so Franz DeWall talks a lot about the ways that empathy is a very necessary component of a very impactful leader. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, that's that's the that's the 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 outline of the of the principle so when we're talking when right. we go ahead in the, sorry are you hearing that noise in the background a little tiny bit not too much yeah okay i, I apologize if, you know. no it's okay i think that threw me off a little bit but that's okay that it's there i i don't hear anything at my end so okay I, okay just check i don't know um okay um well in in, in the animal world what's um what we're learning from the animal world is that the effective male leader uh, is not somebody who's feared, but is somebody who is respected, who has uh, qualities such as being compassionate, empathic. They're very co cooperative and collaborative. So the effective leader in, in the animal world, an alpha male, is someone who has very tender qualities and, and usually rates the highest of empathy within the, the males in the group. Mm. Okay. Therefore, it's really important for us as a society to make sure that we're having leaders and uh, people in a, in a position of authority who are high on empathy. Mm. Right now, our president is low on empathy. One out of five CEOs is a sociopath. And now we have police officers uh, who, are, who are not really being assessed for their level of kindness, empathy, compassion, perspective taking. And these, these qualities are very important for, for leaders in our society mm -hmm. and for us to be united. Right. 
and and also to have some respect for authority as well because of course if if you don't have respect for authority well then how much authority do they really have you know really right that's you know. correct that's exactly there's so many other countries that you know police are not even they don't even wear weapons right, right. there's countries where where they do not carry guns on them right. norway iceland ireland new zealand cops are respected and they're liked and they see that they're viewed as people who are there to protect us and care about us. Mm. Uh, and here, more and more, we're starting to fear our police rather than respect them. And that's a big problem. Well, the sort of the whole militarization of the police force has, of course, been scaring the hell out of m most of us for the last however many years, 15, 20 years it's been. Where you know, you know where they're yeah. getting they're getting tanks and and uh, et cetera et cetera they're they're being treated as more and more like military uh, people, and less and less like the old country uh, police officer that would sort of take you home if you needed to be taken home because you had too much to drink. So right. so, you're now as I was reading your literature, uh, Doctor Abby, I I kind of got the impression that you are a designer of tests. And there's some comment in here about how you've actually gotten some kind of an award or something or other because you are you have uh, done done a, a quite a good job in terms of developing assessment tests. So maybe you could we could start to talk a little bit about kind of the the the, real, the realities of assessment of of testing evaluations, and so our listeners could get a sense of. Well, it, it it might be a lovely idea to ask for and hope and cross our fingers that someone could have empathy, but but the idea of actually effectively uh, assessing them in advance of their of the, of this very you know it's, it's, sometimes it's considered sort of a wild west duty the, the you know the cop and, and his gun and he's he's going to get off his horse and et cetera et cetera so there's 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 so many other images that are out there that are not emp empathetic so tell us a little bit about how testing I'm assuming now or maybe I'm assuming too much but is part of what you're what is bringing you out to be in the public the way you are with talking to me today? Are you a designer of tests hoping to become then a standard bearer for the ability for uh, different facilities to actually make testing assessments? Uh, no, no. I, I, I have a private practice. I have a group private practice okay. in the Bay Area where right. we see clients. So I do not, I'm not a, a a test developer at all. Uh -huh. um, so I do have I, I have a cognitive behavioral therapy center here uh -huh. in the Bay Area. Right mm -hmm. now, we're just seeing people online, mm -hmm. and so if you if you want to be seen by one of our therapists and get cognitive behavioral therapy, you could find us at BayAreaCBTCenter.com, mm -hmm. or also um, I have I just founded a new. A company, uh, CBT Online, so people could visit cbtonline.com mm -hmm. and also get connected with cognitive behavioral therapists. And there's also a lot of resources on there, free resources, videos, mindfulness audios, worksheets, webinars, right. uh, so that people, even if they don't have access to a therapist, could still have effective tools and skills that they could learn online. So that would be cbtonline.com. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have quizzes and questionnaires, but I would not say that any of these are standardized uh, tests. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I speak about giving uh, police officers psychological testing, I mean, uh, you know, certain tests that have been standardized and proven through research to work. For example, there's um, 
There's the Hogan's Empathy Scale Mm -hmm. or the Interpersonal Reactivity Index. So there's the QMEE. So there's certain certain, uh, self-report questionnaires that can be given to police officers so that we can see through self-report their level of empathy. But also, if you have a very good psychologist who's good at assessing the dilemma that we have in Minneapolis is that the psychologists that they're hiring are not really specialized in these types of tests. And it's very important that we have people who are practicing within their scope of practice and know the very effective tests and how to measure these things. And so the, the best way to actually measure empathy is through responses, right, through skin responses, Uh, and through sweat, through certain physiological responses that people are having when they're exposed to, you know, triggering uh, situations. If you have somebody watching a video of something that would be violent or scary, you'd want to be measuring their physiological responses, their facial gestures. You would want a self-report. You'd want them to verbalize what they're thinking and feeling, Mm -hmm. but actually... What is more accurate is kind of measuring these nonverbal responses and seeing how is this person impacted when they're seeing right, very violent or gory or distressing things. Mm-hmm. Are they having you know, or heart rate variability, right? Are they, is, if their heart rate variability is not changing while they're seeing a very violent or um, right, uh, things, that, that's a concern. That's not a person that we want responsible at being in a powerful position where they're in authority. Mm-hmm. So are you, you just did a good job there in terms of giving us a feeling of what the test you know, parameters might be about. And so um, we need to take a break. We're talking to Dr. Dr. Abby Lev. She's uh, author of a, uh, several or co-author of several books. She's uh, also the founder of a of a a relatively new thing she says called CPT on cptonline.com which is cognitive behavioral therapy. We're going to yeah. talk some more after the break. Please stay tuned. We'll be back with you in just a moment. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke today joined by Dr. Abby Lev and we're talking about empathy and the the uh, the police environment that we're currently going through and Abby has uh, got a lot of thoughts about what might be added or improved on in terms of the environment of looking at assessing our, our police departments to find out, are, are we really having the right people carry a badge and carry a gun? And apparently we can see by the behavior of a lot of these, well not sorry, we can't say a lot, that's not fair. We, we can say s- some people are clearly not the people we want to have a badge and a gun. So we can say that for sure. So, so coming back to this, this topic, uh, Abby, um, so you've just given us a taste of what this, what the, the testing potentials might be. So are you actually envisioning such a, like a, uh, uh, the metrics that you were just using in terms of the skin tensi- sensitivities and so on, are you imagining that the development of these tests, these empathetic tests, are going to be actually included in the uh, uh, psychological assessments of, it, or is this a sort of a dream and a hope, but there's not... Right, there's, right. That's a very good question, you know, because my dream and my hope would be that this, these are not uh, 
just given to police officers, but are given to anybody right. in position of authority, our president, our government, uh, anybody who has a, a powerful position should be having a very thorough psychological evaluation. And I want to say not just the not just the empathy tests that I've shared with you who, mm. that, that have already been developed and have research, uh, mm. scientific research backing, but there's also many other uh, psychological assessments that would be useful. We have psychological uh, tests that me- measure psychopathy traits, authoritarian traits. We have a psychological test that look at n- narcissistic traits um, or, or conscientiousness. We have a lot of uh, scales and measures or social deviance, for example. Uh, and so there's, if, if a therapist is, is an expert in assessment, they're able to get a pretty good feel for the character of a person, their level of empathy, their character, their integrity. And it's very important that, that people who are in, in these very high levels of position of, of power uh, have some form of empathy and compassion and collaboration and um right well of course you know the again the 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 hope for part of this part of the the hope hope for part of course is that this this could this could come to pass and sort of people could have some measure of assessment rather than whether or not they you know in terms of a, a, a public figure that 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 you had to vote for, for instance. I mean, it might be interested to, to have them have an ob- obligatory, some kind of a psychiatric assessment or psychological assessment. Um, it doesn't seem very likely that that would uh, come to pass, at least in my lifetime. And 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 so, but at the same time, with this this uprising of, with so much uh, st- uh, drama and understandable drama about the police, it seems to me reasonable to imagine that. That the the level of of discernment that you're suggesting as a possibility conceivably could be really effectuated in 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 the police environment. So, what are you hearing about that? Are you hearing about that? Maybe this course too too early to say because we're just a, a month into the the Floyd George, um, uh, you know, post Minneapolis event where this this is not yet time to see what the what the et cetera of all that is. But do you imagine, I'd put it that way, do you imagine that, that police assessments of incoming officers or, in, or assessments of existing officers might actually begin to use some significant testing of the types you described? Well, right now, most states are using, are saying that they're giving police officers a psych evaluation. Okay. But it's actually not in practice. Mm-hmm. And many police officers are getting like a 15-minute evaluation or getting one psychological assessment. So they're not getting proper or effective or meaningful psychological evaluations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're kind of at a fork in the road. And so I don't know which direction we're going to go. Are we going to kind of go towards cruelty and, and, and hatred and violence? Or are we going to move towards a more compassionate, caring, kind society? Uh, for example, again, there's certain countries where police officers are, um, they are trained in de-escalation skills, right? They're not trained in being violent. They, and de-escalation skills work. 
You know, being compassionate and kind and civil and human really, really works. There's many countries where police officers are not carrying guns. And so are we going to start using what's already been researched and shown to work? Are we going to start using that here? And I do think that we're seeing some evidence of change because I know that the the mayor of San Francisco, um, he has now made a new, uh, like, reform that, you know, uh, that, that instead of police officers, they're going to have professionals responding to non-criminal calls. So, so calls related to homelessness or mental health issues or uh, neighborhood disputes, these kinds of situations, rather than having the cops called, they're going to have uh, mental health professionals called. And, and another big problem that we have within our police system is that police are giving certain tasks that they're that are outside of their scope of practice. Uh, for example, um, I'm a psychologist, and if one of my clients says to me that they're going to kill themselves or kill somebody else, I have to call the police. Um, if I think that one of my clients is a danger to somebody, if my client says, you know, I'm, I'm so mad at my wife, I'm just going to kill her. I have to call the police, and then I have to convince the police that my client is a danger so that then we could hospitalize them effectively um, and make sure that everybody's safe. The dilemma is that the police are not trained in this. The police are not trained to understand domestic violence issues, homelessness issues. They're not trained in being able to predict somebody's level of danger. They're good at intervening when something has went poorly, right, when there's violence already happening. Mm. But they're not trained in being able to predict, is this person a danger to themselves? Is this person a danger to other people? And often the police are the people that are being called to make these kinds of evaluations. And that's not good for anybody involved. That's not good for police officers. That's not good for the people being assessed by them. Um, it's overwhelming for police officers. It's a very unworkable system. Uh, they need to have a psychologist on board with them, and they need to be trained in these issues, especially around de-escalating um, and connecting and, and um, empathy. When, when you show empathy and compassion and kindness, people really do tend to just de-escalate and calm down a little bit. When they're in fight-or-flight mode and they're feeling afraid for their lives, um, yeah, they're going to be more resistant. They're afraid. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the behavior of some of the police, some particular police officers in in recent memory, uh, people have all kinds of reasons to be afraid. Uh, this is this is we really are in a very very uh, uh, incredible time. So as you as you look, Abby, Doctor Abby, as you look out at the, presumably you pay some attention to the news media and you listen to the, you see all over the world that there's a some a lot of pushback. On authoritarianism of of, of the police right. and, and and so on right. like so on like that. So, are you are you party to? Or are you aware of? Is there, a, beside the sort of protest part of the, of the public expression, are you aware of of substantial uh, other levels of engagement with this situation? I mean, in other words, it's because we you know, those of us who are general in the general public who see these things kind of come and go. They every People get furious, and there's a, a week or two or three maybe of some you know large noise, and yet nothing seems to change. So, what what as you look out there, are you seeing things that give you a feeling that there 
I mean, London Breed, as you say, is is now going to send out, uh, you know, uh, other other people besides police for all kind various kinds of calls that are not really police matters. So, but but for that one, are you are you in touch with, and are you can you tell our listeners at all about other things? In other words, you you mentioned how in Europe, forgive me for just wandering on here, but of course for those of us who've watched the you know the 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 I guess it's the Norwegian or the the, or the German I forget the the prison system where people like they go to camps and they're treated very well and so we we've seen all we've seen some some you know some evidence of of more enlightened what would appear to be more enlightened societies but here in the states are you are you aware of things that that are really taking place or are we do we still have a huge amount of work to get things started in that direction. I think we have a huge amount of work, <laughs> a mm -hmm. huge amount of work mm -hmm. to get things really. I think that there are some people with some good intentions, and like you say, if something kind of gets started, but then it doesn't actually get put into action in practice. Mm -hmm. You know, we could say, well, you know, they're getting psychological evals, but 15 minutes evaluations is not a psychological eval. So <laughs> is that no. really honest? You yeah, know? right. And so, and, and we, you know, there's, there's, certain, there's uh, different parts of it. There's the systemic part around um, certain rules and regulations and having accountability and consequences, right? This is more about political reform, such as are chokeholds acceptable and under what circumstances. All of these things are very gray, which leads to disaster and, and, and bias. Uh, another really important, other really important measures that we have in psychology are around uh, bias and racism. We have measures, you know, none of these are perfect measures, but they're still worth giving people. Just because they're not perfect measures doesn't mean that they're still not worth using. When we could look at somebody's implicit bias, we could show them pictures and use these tests that give us an idea if some of these people have an imp implicit bias towards certain groups of people. We also don't want people in positions of authority and power to be discriminatory and hold prejudiced beliefs. So we want to be looking at people's beliefs. We want to be testing these things. We have many tests available. Uh, I can't speak too much for the reform piece. There's the piece of the reform, mm -hmm. you know, and the systemic issues in the police department. And then there's the piece about the human beings that we hire, which I could say a lot about. And then there's the piece about the, the police department and the kind of culture that they have. Are they reinforcing, such as the Stanford prison experiment, are they reinforcing a culture of, you know, cruelty and uh, impulsivity, you know, and, and a lack of empathy? Uh, and is there training and, and ways that we could help that environment? And then there's also um, the issue of police having, um, having to be responsible for things that are outside of their scope of practice, such as homelessness, domestic violence, and such. Um, in relation to the hiring piece, um, I think that the, the, the quickest solution to starting to get um, people who are less likely to shoot innocent people, because when you have empathy and you're trained in de-escalation, those kinds of things are less likely to happen. Mm. And, and, and if we're doing these tests and we're seeing that there are certain police officers who hold strong prejudice beliefs, implicit biases towards certain minorities or high on authoritarian traits. I also have a questionnaire on, on my website that does look at core beliefs and measures levels of entitlement. When we see that somebody is high on entitlement, 
that's not a person that I want protecting my neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Entitlement is not a high trait that you would want to have in your police officers. Mm. And you also don't want to have an environment that then reinforces entitled beliefs. Mm. You know, our, our environments are then reinforcing our own, like, thoughts, feelings, beliefs. And so we have a long work ahead of us. Yeah, we, it's, it's a long way. Right. I can't say to you exactly whether we're headed in a good direction or not. Because I think, again, we are at a fork in the road, and we have to make some decisions and be really persistent in moving forward. You know, change uh, doesn't just happen easily. We have to keep staying on it and fighting it and fighting authoritarianism. And so right now, it's a crucial moment. We're at a very crucial moment in time where we might be moving even more towards Uh, authoritarian, uh, you know, like you said, military regimes, or more towards, you know, these kinds of things like this mayor is trying to do in San Francisco or in L.A., and really changing um, reforms to make us more about prevention, right, and and care and de-escalation and compassion rather than um, violence and force and brutality. Well, a lot of people, of course, are saying that we we need to get that direction from the top, and of course, but of course, obviously, we also need to get it from the bottom, as well, because of course, there's it, it if it, if things don't live at the bottom, well, then nothing really changes. So, so I'm I'm hoping, I, perhaps you are too, that we're I'm hoping that that this huge huge uh, citizen action of standing up to uh, and and pushing back. And when the Black Lives Matter environment and uh, the various uh, issues around the the loss of family members that then turn into situations where people appear before Congress, I'm certainly hoping that that some of that investment of that that social investment, you know, really gets us to where uh, the the culture can be can be challenged. I the thing is, those of us who've been around the police at all. And my own experience of being around the police is that the the culture is so 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 strong in terms of just kind of what it is, and then of course with the with the influence of people like the president and and his attitudes and his his lack and in, in inability to really project any kind of um, uh, anything but sort of a law and order um, motif. It's sort of so the leaders at the leadership at the top is not right at the moment, at least in terms of our country, is it not doesn't seem to be taking us in a direction that you and I might feel would be advantageous, and yet we certainly are getting a lot of action at the at the bottom, and we're getting a, a good deal of action at the state and local level. So, for our listeners who are interested in participating in some of this stuff, uh, are you at all in touch with, or can you give our listeners any kind of guidance in in terms of how they might uh, actually, as, as citizens, part, be, participate in the, the this, the, these discussions. I mean, obviously, a lot of it's already out there, but do you have anything to add to what's already out there in the general public domain on that? You know, I, I wish I had more about that. I wish I knew how to, you know, help make some systemic changes right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I will say that um, we can't have systemic change happen from the top 
when our leaders are not held accountable for anything. Mm -hmm. So now we're living in a country where the more power you have or the higher you have on your position of leadership, the less accountability you have, the more you get away with. And that's a big problem because it should actually be the very opposite. Actually, the more power you have and the more positions of authority you hold, you should have more accountability. Mm -hmm. So it's a big problem when police officers can have like 15 complaints against a a police officer and there's zero consequences. People are going to die if you're not going to give this person consequences and they can continue doing their job when they're not doing it justly or effectively. Mm -hmm. It's, um, It's unethical and it's wrong. And so I I don't know that this change is going to happen from the top. I think we have to look at our history, and history shows that if we want this kind of revolution, a revolutionary change, it does mean protesting. You know, Uh, it means protesting. It means advocating. It means gathering together and, 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 and sharing resources. It means keeping people accountable. It means using resources now that we have, such as videos, right, and Mm -hmm. and putting it out there and showing the truth means looking at the truth, standing up for the truth, peacefully protesting and standing up for the things that are not okay and not just. But I wish I had more of an answer of how do we change this more rapidly or or where are we really headed? You know, it's... Well, also... We're in a very uncertain time, very uncertain. Absolutely. And of course, then the thing is, is that for a lot of people who are not used to actively participating in, in, in citizen activities, um, it's, it's, it's a little daunting to imagine, well, other than something that comes in on the Internet somehow that wants you to give them $25 to you know, do something, to support something rather. But it, it, it's, it's a little hard to hook in to see where a citizen would, would participate. And yet, um, uh, what I, I, I suspect that part of what you're you get to do with your work with individual work and 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 your work your your uh, your group work with uh, cbt.com uh, presumably some of this this issue these issues are coming up in those domains so t- let's let's take a minute and uh, actually we need to take almost we need to take another break for just a minute we're talking to Dr. Abby Lev and we're talking about uh, the incredible environment that we're in in terms of the uh, the mental health issues around police, the, the police use of force and the, the, the huge environment that we're facing up to now. So, Doctor, stay with us, please, another minute. We'll be back with mm-hmm. you in just a second. And welcome back to Health Matter. Today uh, we're, we're showing the hour for, with Dr. Abby Lev, and we're talking about uh, the whole world of police mental health and some testing that uh, Abby is involved in, is, is, is advocating and involved in. She's a been a co-author of three books, I understand, and she's uh, been active uh, in the psychology world for some time. But we didn't get a chance to talk much about you, so let's let's <laughs> let's circle back a little bit and talk about you just just for briefly. What how what got, what got you started in psychology? Uh, what got me started in psychology is, you know, when I was younger, I felt a big sense of, I, I was I was depressed. I felt this sense of meaninglessness or mm-hmm. purposelessness. Mm-hmm. And I found myself wondering, like, what makes what makes life meaningful? What are people happy about? Like, what, um, 
what do people live for? And, and I, I just got very curious about human beings and human behavior and what drives people and what fulfills people. Um, and I actually, and then I just started taking some classes in psychology and I was getting a lot of these answers. And I, I actually read a book that I was really touched me and I thought was really powerful, which was called the Doctor and the Soul by Viktor Frankl. Wow. And actually, I think it's very applicable to where we're at right now in the world because Viktor Frankl was in Auschwitz in World War II in a concentration camp. And he knows a lot about authoritarianism, but he wrote this book, and there's a couple of chapters. There's the meaning of life, the meaning of death, the meaning of work, the meaning of love, and the meaning of suffering. Uh, the meaning of suffering I found to be the most touching piece of, of, of literature I've ever read. Mm. And and he really inspired me to be a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And now I and now I, I find my work to be very purposeful and meaningful and I, I love what I do and right. I consider myself very lucky. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you get to a chance to explore the human condition in a, a very up close and personal kind of way in a way that uh, people who don't get a chance to look more deeply a lot of times in terms of either the causative factors for the development of, of personality issues or or just, just the struggle of life itself. I mean, you you get a chance to be right there on the firing line in with your clients as they right. as they confront living. And of course, that's one of the things that I always found so exciting and inspiring to see when, when I was more active in the psychology way was was when people took off their skin a little bit and, and, and took off their habitual behavior and it was really always interesting to see what was deep what was deeper in their soul which was 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 accessible it wasn't just a, a mystical thing it was actually someplace something you could actually get to it so um right you, you know i think what's really interesting too about being in the position that i'm in and seeing so many people and hearing their stories is also I, I really have a perspective of how the global or the macro impacts the micro mm -hmm. and the other way around, meaning the issues. It's like in our collective unconscious, a lot of the things that are happening, it's not separate, right? It's not separate like our, our police officers um, lacking empathy is not different from many of my clients whose bosses lack empathy or right. CEOs, right? Uh, issues in hierarchies that are happening in our government are not any different than, for example, issues in couples therapy around how do we negotiate fairly, mm -hmm. you know, issues around entitlement and self-sacrifice. I also have one of the questionnaires that I have on cbtonline.com is a relationship schemas quiz. And that quiz will give you information about the core beliefs that you have in relationships. And very often we see a, a dynamic of entitlement versus self-sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so these kinds of power dynamics and getting to win-win scenarios, how do we get to win-win scenarios, right? You don't have to coerce people. We can actually empathize, understand each other's feelings and needs. And just like the monkeys and the apes and the bonobos are actually better than us at this, if we look at Franz de Wall and we look at his research, we see that actually – uh, these animals are very cooperative and that we do better, we are more successful as a society when our leader uh, has these skills and gets everybody to be more cooperative with one another rather than divided against each other, which is, you know, a, um, a flavor of uh, entitlement and, 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 and traits of selfishness and lack of empathy. Mm -hmm. 
so I, I, I feel very lucky because uh, there's, it always trickles down. What's happening in our government happens in our families and happens in our jobs and happens in our organizations. I, I'm in San Francisco, so I know what the organizations here, like Google and Facebook, right? These issues that we have around um, police and holding them accountable, we have to hold all people in authority, right? We have to hold everybody, ourselves, accountable and have fair and just consequences and clear consequences. Well, it, 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 you, you almost can, can, can imagine that a lot of this is, starts, starts as, as a... It, it could have started in a parenting environment. It could have started where a, 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 a alert and sophisticated, a psychologically alert and sophisticated parent conceivably could parent their child child in a lot of in a lot of these things. And yet, a lot of these very deep primal things we have to learn as as adults, and 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 or at least we have to refine them and get make them better as adults. Then we we got we got started in childhood, but a lot of times we didn't get it all wrapped up, shall we say, in terms of our psychological development. So talk a, little bit of, talk a little bit about that in terms of the difficulty that people have sort of willingly looking at themselves uh, closely to, 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 to try to achieve these refinements when we, 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 we live such habitual lives. How, what, what, what is it that we can do to break out of that, our, our habit patterns that then keep us sort of stuck in the same old movie that we are used to playing? All right, right. It's very true. Our same old movie that we act out and keep uh, make, creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. You know, I want to say that it, I want to make the distinction between there are certain things that we develop through childhood and is within our family, but what's really interesting is also what's happening on a societal level. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, uh, it's very interesting. I saw this interview with this man who is diagnosed as a psychopath, with psychopathic personality, right? Mm. Which is antisocial personality disorder. Okay. Or on the narcissistic spectrum. And he, 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 he wrote a book called Malignant Self-Love. His name is Sam Vaknin. Mm-hmm. And the person is interviewing him is asking him, he says, why is it that certain psychopathic traits work? Why is it that we have leaders, you know what I mean, and CEOs and people who are doing really well when they have psychopathic traits. Why are they so adaptive, right? Mm. Why are they so beneficial? Mm. And I thought this was very, very interesting because Sam Vaknin now, the self-proclaimed, you know, malignant narcissist, says says to the person, you know, you must be from a Western country Mm -hmm. because these psychopathic traits, you know, being a bully, stepping over people, getting ahead of anybody at any cost, these kinds of behaviors are not always beneficial. They're only beneficial in a certain environment. More collectivistic cultures, those kind of traits are actually um, maladaptive and they get punished. And in certain um, uh, cultures that are more individualistic, right, and lack more empathy, those are the, uh, the cultures where those traits end up being more beneficial. And so we really want to think about this, don't we? It's, it's about our family. It's about our system. It's, it's, it's uh, from the big picture to the smaller picture. We're in a really big world. And I really do think that empathy is one of the most adaptive and you know, amazing qualities that we can have. 
and how important it is for a leader to really be able to take perspective and empathize with other people. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we, we kind of have this myth that psychopathic traits are effective in some way is a big myth in American society. Huge. Yeah, it's a big myth in American society, and it doesn't have to be that way. And there's many other countries where where these behaviors are not rewarded the way we reward the behaviors, right? Behaviorally speaking, if we're going to give chocolate cake to certain behaviors, those behaviors are going to increase. We need to stop giving chocolate cake to right. behaviors that are antisocial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and speaking as a healthcare practitioner myself, what I see people with the the the, the uh, was struggling with these some of these matters when they're in a, in they're psychopathic in their nature or or when their expression anyway, and they're they're living. Many of these things are then show up as as diseases. Really, they show up not only as migraines and things like that, but they show up as cancers and they show up. So in other words, the business of working on our um, working on harmonizing our soul, working on harmonizing our personality to, to be in a positive relationship with our environment and within ourselves, is no, it isn't only just for the benefit of others, it's strongly benefit to, beneficial for, our, for ourselves. And so one of the, right. one of the things, so, so we're almost at the end here. So let's go, let's circle back, Abby, and talk about um, cognitive behavior therapy. So our listeners, Give us listeners a sort of a synopsis of the ideas of cognitive behavior therapy, if you would, so they they can go forward and and know how to use that, or at least how to begin to think about how to use that system. Yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy is based on the premise that insight alone is not going to change our behaviors. Right? I have a lot of insight about certain behaviors that are not so great or that I want to change, and I don't necessarily change it just because I understand it. And so that's why cognitive behavioral therapy is more directive, it's more experiential, and it helps you change your behaviors and your habits. Mm -hmm. We look at the thoughts that get in the way and the feelings that get in the way, and we give you tools on how to deal effectively with the thoughts and feelings that may be acting as barriers. Mm -hmm. And so... And we help you identify what are your new behaviors, what are your values, how do you want to act. Uh, and we, we really try to understand what's stopping you from, from acting in this new way. Sometimes it's lack of skills. Sometimes it's avoidance of certain emotions. And so uh, CBT is very, it's very active. It's very experiential. It's, it's not just um, talk therapy. It's, a, it's much more interactive it's, it's like having a different experience you know and it's not just going back over old old dead things it's 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 a very here and now, it's a very here and now so right dude give us a little contrast with uh nonviolent communication is there any kind of do you have a sense of how nonviolent you know the rosenberg work do you have any sense yeah. of any sense of how that is integrated with cognitive behavior are, are those things do they work well with each other are they they talk right. well with, do they talk well with each other you know, I don't know how many other cognitive behavioral therapists integrate NVC. I assume most of them do, but I integrate NVC into 90% of my work. I think that okay. nonviolent communication is right. um, a magical language. Right. Right. <laughs> I cannot speak. Um, and I've added, I've actually I've written some books in my couples therapy book. I go over nonviolent communication. It's called Act for Couples. And I go over nonviolent communication and I even further it a little bit more. Within how to set self-care consequences 
using nonviolent communication and how to test another person's level and capacity for empathy using nonviolent communication. So I see nonviolent communication as a very, very powerful language that I actually think if we incorporate more into our society, that will also help us have more empathy. I'm really glad that you brought that up because if we were if, if we were to learn nonviolent communication early in school, nonviolent communication and things like mindfulness, right. we would be a lot more prepared for for life, more more so than learning calculus. You know, I certainly I certainly think so. And I and I the more I talk to you, that the more I realize that you you sound like a nonviolent communication kind of teacher teacher person. So <laughs> it was just sort of it was hanging right there on your sleeve. I could, all I had to do was just. <laughs> right. All I had to do was look over. There it was, you know, and, and you know, it, and the thing is, so I, I do encourage our listeners who who feel like they've maybe gotten something out of our conversation today or who are still looking for things that they might do for themselves. They might want to look at the nonviolent communication world. And there's, again, there's quite a lot. And also, I have some nonviolent communication worksheets that people can fill out right on their phone or on the website on cbtonline.com. Oh, good. I have all of the nonviolent communication that lists of feelings and needs and, 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 and helping with videos and how to fill them out all on cbtonline.com. Fantastic. Well, we, we finally got to this, to the, to the, the well, well, what part of the important part of our conversation with how we can go forward from today and actually have some new and fresh tools for ourselves and CB, I didn't realize that CB, I hadn't, to be honest, I hadn't gone to your website to see what was there, <laughs> but uh, now I will, and I urge our listeners to do the same, because I think that uh, uh, we want to be able to move forward with these things, and, and we don't want to be just sort of stuck, and if we don't, right. if we don't take action, we, we will uh, pretty much likely to be stuck, so Abby Lev, right. thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for chatting. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye now. And there is our uh, visit uh, today on Health Matters Radio. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to visiting with you again soon. Until next time, I bid you well.